This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 531, where we cover owning the zoning, finding a property's highest and best use, and why you don't want to ever forget your online passwords with Dan, the real estate man one, Harvey. Even investors who are not in the Philadelphia area can kind of take away from this strategy is looking at a property and trying to figure out what is the best use for this property and having a more sophisticated view of how they're looking at properties. But it's about having multiple tools in your tool belt. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast, the show where we teach you how to invest in real estate by bringing on top performers, expert investors, and just plain regular people, where we cover the tactics and mindset that go into being successful in real estate investing and show you that you can do it if you also take consistent action. I am here today with my co-host, Brandon Turner. We just got back from BPCon. Brandon, what's been... Oh, wow. Did you shave your beard? You know, if I had a nickel for every time somebody confused me with Brandon Turner, I would have just made my first nickel. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. I have been growing it out for about three days now. It looks good, doesn't it? Oh, it looks am- amazing. Yeah, now you got to get the top half. Like, Brandon's got a good balance, right, between the top and the bottom. Yeah, I, people can't see me if you're not on YouTube, but trust me, I'm stroking the beard as 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 we're doing this whole interview. <laughs> yeah, there is. that's awesome. So today I'm here with Jay Scott. Uh, bigger pockets OG. You've written the books on flipping housing, the book on negotiating, the book on estimating rehab costs. Is there anything I'm leaving out there? There's another one. Uh, what's the other? Ah, economic cycles. Yes, uh, the economy. Good one. So, and I'm here with David Green, who's written the books on building a real estate business as a real estate agent, building a real estate agent business, the Burr book, long distance real estate investing. Am I missing anything? No, that's pretty much it. Other than the stuff I do outside of investing, but we don't need to talk about that today. On today's show, we actually cover a lot of Burr stuff. So we get into some creative ideas of how to use the Burr method outside of just cosmetic rehabs, which is how most people tend to understand it. Dan Harvey has, is really one of the front runners at looking at properties, figuring out a way to improve their use, and then using Burr principles to move forward with executing the deal. And he's doing it with tremendous results from everything I've seen. Yeah. Here's the thing I really love about the stuff Dan's doing. Not only is he doing stuff for or teaching stuff that's useful for people that want to get into the big development and want to do the rezoning from uh, residential to commercial, but he's doing stuff that can be used by any level investor, whether you're doing single family, whether you're focused on duplexes, whether you're focused on multifamily or commercial, whatever you're doing, his style of investing in the niche that he's found is a way for you to improve and up-level your game. In fact, what he's doing is an opportunity for you to add, I, I like to use the term adding an arrow to your quiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, it- it's basically something that you can take and you can learn. And then maybe 95% of your deals, you're going to be doing your normal deal. But then every once in a while, you're going to come across a deal where you can take the techniques that Dan talks about here, and you can use that to really make yourself a ton of money or a ton more money than you would have made on the deal otherwise. Yeah. And I think this is extra relevant today where the methods that we have traditionally used to find deals, which was like find an area where the seller was in distress, offer less than it's worth, go fix it up. Those opportunities aren't out there like they were at one point. There's a new evolution that we all have to take as real estate investors where we learn to look at a deal from different eyes. And this co- this concept of highest and best use, what is the best way this property could be used? And what would I need to do to get it from where it is now to where it is, is in my mind, the biggest pivot that every real estate investor needs to make. Jay, is that similar to how you see it? 
Yeah, absolutely. We all talk about getting to be the absolute best at the thing you do. And we all need to be the best at whatever we're doing, whether we're flipping houses or whether we're building ground up uh, commercial properties, whatever it is. But at the same time, we need to be creative and we need to be able to find different solutions to the same problems that we see every day. Just because you and I are doing the exact same thing and we're both experts, if one of us is more creative at that thing, we're going to find solutions that the other doesn't find. And that's ultimately going to make us more money. That is a great way to put it. I should have just said that at finding different solutions to the same problems that we're facing. Well, that's, that's what you get when, uh, when you get confused for Brandon Turner, you got to come up with those great nuggets. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until deal machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your deal machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, Jay, that's all I got. You ready to get into this thing? Let's jump in. I, I want to hear more from Dan, the man, Harvey, one. <laughs> Dan Harvey, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. So apparently you met both Jay and I at a Dave Van Horn event in uh, Philadelphia. And we didn't remember, of course, because that happens all the time. So thank you very much for reminding us. Are you us. kidding me? I remembered. I, I, like Dan and I are best friends. <laughs> so you maybe the maybe bus. you have a bad memory, Dave. I'm the only jerk on this podcast right now. That's probably true. But I do remember now, Dan, like you jogged my memory and I remember putting a water bottle down in between our chairs. And I'm pretty sure you were sitting either right next to me or like one person over because I'm remembering now you have a very strong jawline that really sticks out. So uh, good on you for you. that. Uh, look at that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. 
So, Dan, you are doing some pretty incredible and creative stuff in Philadelphia that I love because it really encapsulates that spirit of if you can't find a deal, you got to make a deal. You're not saying, oh, it's too hot. The market's too hot. You're sort of, in my mind, one of the front runners that's out there taking a new level of creativity and ambition into real estate investing. And I'm really excited to talk to you today to get some insight into what you're doing, not just so other people can do what you're doing, but what I really hope is that we sort of unlock the key of creativity so that we all start looking at deals in a similar way that you do. Great. So why don't you start off by telling us what type of investing you have traditionally been doing, what problems you encountered, and why you've switched into this new model? Sure. As a bit of, of a background, prior to real estate investing, uh, I worked for a company called SEPTA. That's the, our regional uh, transportation authority that is around Philadelphia and the surrounding counties. So I started investing more seriously around 2010. So uh, that was shortly after the real estate collapse of like 08. And so I came in at, at a time where there was um, an abundance of bank-owned properties. Um, and so it, it's kind of interesting now to kind of look back at it with, with all of my experience now and realize that like at that time, banks were the wholesalers, right? There were almost no wholesalers at the time because banks were selling properties at wholesale values. So I'd say for the first three, four, Four years, I only purchased bank-owned properties. And just to give people uh, an, an idea of what that market was like, you would have bank-owned properties listed on the MLS. Um, you could go through, visit them, uh, take your time, think about it, and you could make a low-ball offer and still get the property. Now we all know that's not going on now, but that, but it was it was that much inventory of bank-owned properties then. So that's where I started. I started off in single families, uh, single family properties, uh, because that was just the low hanging fruit. I eventually moved into um, buying triplexes. And so uh, that was going really well. And I stumbled into, into commercial real estate. Um, the funny story is I was rehabbing a triplex. And this was about 2008. And 14, if my memory serves me right. And this little old lady comes out of her house and she walks over to me and I'm, I'm working on a prop. She's like, do you think you would want to buy my building? I'm like, imagine this happening now. This is a five unit building. And um, I, I was so accustomed to buying vacant properties. Now her property was occupied. It was a little bit, it was outside of my comfort zone. I actually almost told her no. Like in my mind, I'm like, ah, this is, I don't really want to. And so that was my first, I, I, I did wind up buying that property, but that's how I got uh, into, uh, got into buying commercial real estate. So you were buying single family and then you were, you got into commercial. What is kind of your focus today? So what are you doing differently than 95% of other investors out there that's making you successful today? Because today's a really tough time for a lot of us to be finding deals, to be making money, but you're still, you're still doing it. So what are you doing differently today? Sure, sure. So what I'm doing differently. So right now, everybody knows about the birth system, right? That's the low hanging fruit. And when I started, like there was no BRRRR acronym, but that's what I was doing, 
right? So I would buy a property, I would rehab the property, I would stabilize it, I would rent the property, and then I, and then I would refinance. Um, so fast forward, right now, everybody is being taught that property. I mean, is being taught that strategy, and most people are starting uh, at the single family, um, single family um, stage, or maybe duplex to four unit. And in my opinion, what that's done is it's it's driving up the cost of, of these properties because you have more people utilizing the same strategy and now having more capital because you have a lot of uh, a lot more hard money out there, more capital than 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 capital that was out there four to five years ago. So what I realized is I was able, I used to be able to buy vacant multifamily properties, no problem. I could buy six unit building vacant. I could buy it bank owned existing. Around 2017, that started to change. Banks stopped selling properties uh, at, at any discounts, even if they were vacant, even if they had problems, they started selling them at retail and, and agents were selling the upside. And so I said, well, okay, well, this, this doesn't work anymore. I can't burn this. But I realized that there was a lot of old inventory of large properties that had the size where they could be converted into multifamily properties. So I started to think, well, what if I buy the property before it is a multifamily property? And so that's what gave birth to the strategy that I'm using, I'm utilizing now, which is the multifamily conversion strategy. Can you give us an example? Like just walk us through one of the deals that you've done where, where like maybe, maybe a simple deal or, or something on the smaller side where some of our newer investors might be able to look and say, ah, now I see what he's doing. Maybe I could do that myself. I see. Okay. Hmm, a simple deal. <laughs> I don't know if any of my deals are simple. <laughs> well, just, you don't <laughs> have any simple ones. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take a less yeah. simple yeah. one. But so so I'll, I'll give you one of the first ones that I've done. I think that people will will understand it as I walk through it. So I purchased a mixed-use building. It was commercial on the first floor, and there were two apartments on the top floor. This building was on a mostly residential street. The first floor commercial was probably 4,000 square feet. It went from um, edge of the lot to to the edge of the lot, straight through. The, there would, you would not be able to find a retail tenant that would want a 4,000 square foot commercial space on this residential block. It just wouldn't make sense and you wouldn't be able to really get the most use out of it and, and the most income out of it. So what I did was, and this was, again, this was a buy right, meaning I, uh, I didn't have to get a zone invariance or anything like that. I was able to, I was able let's, to- let's, Let me jump in real fast there. When sure. you say buy right, you mean you didn't have to go to the city and say, I'd like the zoning changed. It was already allowed to be used for the purpose that you wanted it to, as well as the purpose it was currently being used for, right? That's, yes, so that's correct. So when I say buy right, Again, uh, that means that that you don't have to go and you don't have to go in front of, of a zoning board. You don't have to get a variance, meaning you're doing something outside of what that zoning code um, actually does. Allows for. Allows yeah. for. So what I did was based on that zoning classification uh, and based on the square footage of the lot, because uh, at least in Philadelphia, the number of units is not based on the building size, but the lot size. 
I, okay. I was able, I was able to put five apartments in that building by right and one commercial space. So I subdivided that 4,000 square foot commercial space into three apartments and one commercial space. I purchased that building for $70,000. And see, here's the, here, here is like the magic of, of the strategy is because the building had that large commercial space that most, most investors would not find desirable they sold it to me for a cheaper price. And so I rehabbed the property. The rehab cost me roughly $250,000. And then the property after uh, I had the five apartments in the one commercial space appraised for $630,000. So I was able to do a refi cash out, which it was a substantial refi cash out. And then the property still cash flowed well. Yeah. So I, I know we hear this term in, in real estate all the time, highest and best use, highest and best use, figure out what the property's highest and best use is. And that's basically what you're doing. You're making money by buying property that the previous owner or the owner before them, or maybe every owner before them was using for some purpose that made sense to them, but wasn't necessarily the highest and best use. It wasn't the way to maximize the value and the income and the profit from that property. And what you're doing is you're starting from the end, you're saying, what is the highest and best use of this property? And then you're following the strategy that will bring the property up to that highest and best use so it can make you the most money. That is a very concise way of thinking about it. Absolutely. And, and this is where even investors who, who are not in the Philadelphia area can kind of take away from, from this strategy is looking at a property and trying to figure out what is the best use for this property and having a more sophisticated view of how they're looking at properties. But it's about having multiple tools in your tool belt. So what I like about what you're doing is it's still the Burr method, okay? You are still rehabbing the property. But the listener shouldn't assume that rehab is always cosmetic. Like Jay said, you're making the property operate at its highest and best use. Now, if it's a single family house, if you make it much prettier, that makes it worth more. That is its highest and best use. But when you're talking about income producing properties like what you have, sometimes it may be cosmetic. Sometimes it may be a mix of cosmetic and practical. So you're able to generate more revenue out of this property than somebody else would have that just looked at it in the sense of, well, this is what's being used for now. That's what I really want people to notice is this is what real estate investors do is we look at it and say, well, this is what it is. I have a vision for what it could be. How do I execute that vision? And what you found was this awesome loophole where you didn't have to go to the city and figure out how to get them to agree to rezone it. It was already allowed to be used for the better purpose. So you avoided all the red tape Red tape that some of the other competition you're working with avoids the deal because they assume I got to go get a zoning variance. This is going to be horrible. It's going to be months and months of time before I can even start the the rehabilitation. And during that time, who's going to pay for it? And so these properties just sit there with no one using them. Absolutely. And I would add to that, that it's it's a niche it's a niche strategy which I like right I, I I like strategies that not everybody necessarily understands or knows so it, it gives me a leg up on all of my competitions because I'm able to look at a property and where they may see a single family property I see a four unit I see a five unit so where they may think that that is overpriced I think it's priced just right and so I may be able to pay asking price or maybe even a little bit above asking price because I'm looking, I'm looking at it for, I'm looking at it for what it will be. 
and not what it currently is. Yes. Yeah. I was just going to say, here's the thing. I mean, you call it a niche strategy, but when used correctly, it's not really niche. So you may be doing this for a lot of properties, but there's no reason why David or myself or anybody that's listening out there can't do their kind of their bread and butter. Maybe you flip houses and 95% of the houses you flip are just straight flips, or maybe you do rentals. 95% of the deals are straight rentals. Maybe you do multifamily. 95% of the deals are multifamily. But then every once in a while, you come across this deal where you look at it and you say, hey, I could turn that single family into a duplex. I could turn that uh, that multifamily into a mixed use. I could turn that shopping mall into a multifamily or a warehouse, whatever it is. And so it doesn't have to be Hey, I'm gonna do what Dan's doing. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that as my main strategy. This is just another tool in your tool belt that if you come across the right property at the right time, you have now an additional opportunity that you may not have had before. Is that a good way to think about it? That is an excellent way. And that's again, I mean, as you guys know, that's how you make money in real estate, being able to analyze the deal multiple ways. Um, so that way you could even give multiple offers, right? I mean, if, if, if you, if you can get the offer in and you can do a simple flip and that works for you, fine. If you need to make a higher offer and you turn it into something else, duplex, triplex, quadplex, fine. But, but you have these different options rather than just walking, walk, walking away from a possibly good deal. This might be the most important podcast we put out in 2021. And the reason I think that is with what we've seen from COVID, there's a lot of traditionally commercial properties that are having a very hard time finding tenants because people want to work from home. The workspace itself is changing. And I think what the lazy investor does is go, oh, I'm just going to wait and it's going to be a bloodbath. They're going to have all these vacancies and I'm going to wait for the price to go down really low. And that's how they win is they think they got a lower price. But the reality is it's the creative person that's going to go and snag that deal and say, I will repurpose this for what people want real estate to be used for now. And we saw like WeWork was sort of an experiment in that that didn't go very well, but it was the front runner in a new way of thinking. And I think, Dan, what you're getting at here is what the listeners of Bigger Pockets need to understand is the landscape is changing, but that doesn't mean it has to be bad. This is opening up all kinds of new opportunities. And you're one of the first people I know of that's doing it at a high level. So Give us an idea into your mind. When you look at a property, what are the, what's the angles and what are the steps that you're taking to figure out what a better use for that property would be? Sure. So, I mean, the first thing that I'm looking at is, well, what what is the zoning of, of this property? What How many units will the zoning of this property allow me to put into the property? What sort of income will will those units give me based off of the rental income that I'm estimating for each unit and then what value will I get based off of that based off of that income I'm mean, now I'm going through a lot of steps but this is kind of how I think about it uh, and then can I be all in to this project at about 65 to 70% of that after repaired value so a lot of this strategy, this is, this is built on Burr fundamentals. So if you understand Burr, it, it uses those fundamentals, but mm -hmm. this is about marrying those fundamentals with highest and best use, right? As, as Jay was talking about, but also understanding the zoning codes in your locale, in your local area, right? So when you marry those, that's how you're able to create great opportunities because I believe you're probably looking at the deal with much sharper eyes 
than a lot of a lot of other investors. So let let's say I find a property and let's say it's a I don't know, let's say it's a six unit property and I'm thinking okay, I want to know what the highest and best use of this particular property is. It's it's on maybe a big lot something. Oh, maybe I can get more units, but I don't know. Um or maybe I can put commercial there, but I don't know. What's the first step somebody should be taking or what's the first question somebody should be asking to determine what is that highest and best use. You mentioned the zoning. Where do I get zoning information? Who do I talk to? What do I find? Where do I find out what a particular zoning code means? Sure. So most most cities now have have an online presence. Most of them um, post their zoning for for their properties, and and most of those tell you exactly exactly what you can do. So this takes a little legwork, right? So you have to take some time and learn what you can do. You could also just call the city, but it's probably much easier to just go find it online, take some time and read through it. And then if you have questions about that, then you may want to reach out to a, a local zoning attorney just to, just to get a clearer understanding, if it's not very clear. I, I would tell you that the zoning rules, at least in Philadelphia, is pretty plain English. You don't need a... You don't you don't need to be a lawyer to to understand it. So give us an example of what the different Philadelphia designations are and what they mean. Sure. Uh, so there are two major zoning classifications that that are going to allow you to build by right again, which means that you skip the variance process in the zoning board process uh, is RM1. Um, and CMX2. Now, there are other designations, but these are the designations that your average investors are going to find the, find the most of. And the RM1 designation allows you to build purely residential units by right, right? And the CMX2, it, that is a commercial mixed-use zoning. So that has, uh, it has, a retail component as well, and but you're allowed to to build multifamily uh, also. Yeah, and, and the zoning can get like it can get pretty nitty gritty. I was actually looking a few months ago with a couple friends at buying, and this is going to sound crazy to some people, but I, I grew up in Maryland. This was actually a thing. We were going to buy a snowball stand. And literally, the snowball stand was making a million dollars a year in uh, in gross income, um, and tiny little stand on like a, a, a corner of like a very rural area, uh, but just did tremendous business. And we we're going to buy it. And the price was a little bit high. And we we're thinking, okay, well, look, we're selling snowballs now. What's to stop us from like selling food and selling tea and selling ice cream? And I mean, there's so many opportunities that we can basically do to, to boost the income make a ton more money and make it worth the purchase price. Well, we looked into the zoning and what we found was there were literally zoning rules that said, this can be a snowball stand. You're allowed to sell Christmas trees between Halloween and like uh, December 31st. But basically those are the two options. You can sell snowballs or Christmas trees. You can't sell tea. You can't sell water. You can't sell ice cream. And so this kind of blew my mind that like literally at some point, somebody must have challenged the zoning laws to get this snowball stand grandfathered in or approved or something. So it just goes to prove that zoning can actually be pretty crazy and complicated. To use the opposite, 
just the, the kind of the other extreme, I do a lot of work in Texas. I do multifamily in Texas and in Houston, at least I, it might be all of Texas, but at least in Houston, there's essentially no zoning. So you can go to downtown Houston. George Bush's farm is in downtown Houston. You can build a strip club next to a high rise, next to a single family, next to a snowball stand in downtown Houston, and you don't have to have it approved. And so really the zoning thing is going to be based on where you live and, and what the, what the laws in your particular area are. And not only can it be confusing, but if you find a good place where the laws are favorable, it probably gives you a lot of opportunity that you might not have in other locations. Absolutely. I'm not going to ask how you found out exactly about the strip club part, but I'm just joking. Huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. So again, it's, 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 if a lot of this, it's, it, it takes, it's going to take a, a little legwork, but a lot of times that's where the money is, right? Is doing some research, um, finding out, how to create the opportunity. So if Texas has that opportunity, then that sounds like a great place to maybe go buy some land or buy a multifamily property and, and, and build on it. That's another actually opportunity I use. And I use in Philadelphia. Uh, it's sort of a value play mix where I will buy an existing multifamily, but again, based off of the zoning, let's say for instance, like that building I was just telling you about, which, which, which was my first commercial building. It, when I bought it, 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 it had, it had four apartments and one commercial space, but zoning allowed for seven apartments. So I built another apartment there, uh, there, thereby increasing the income, thereby increasing the value of the property. So there's a lot of ways that these ideas can be utilized. It's just sort of opening up your mind to these possibilities and, and just being open to looking at things a little bit differently. So let's talk about the deal that we were discussing before we started recording your, uh, you have this vacant land and I really like what you're doing is you're actually finding a way to generate income from the land before you start building. Can you walk us through that deal from how you found it, where it's at now to where it's going? Sure, sure. So one thing I always talk about is um, networking. Networking is so crucial to real estate. It's crucial to business, period, but 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 especially real estate. Um, so um, I got a lead on on this lot. It was uh, from the agent that that had it listed, and um, I went to go look at it. the The lot itself is seventeen thousand square feet. It's actually half a block. It is a very unique lot. It's if you could imagine it, it, it's walls all the way around like thick cobblestone, cobblestone sort of walls, maybe, maybe 10, 12 feet high. Um, and it has a concrete base and it has big doors that open up kind of like this here. Um, so the idea when I saw the lot, um, based on the zoning, I realized I could build 44 units there by right. And that's what I'm actually doing. I'm going through the process. We're in the final stages now. But while I'm going through the architectural phase, I wanted to find a way to sort of offset my cost. And so I, I was thinking to myself, well, how can this property, property be utilized? And David, you actually mentioned something that I thought about first prior to renting it to, to um, a tow truck company, I thought about having it as an open air event space. 
right, where people could have events. It was certainly large enough to have any kind of event that you might have wanted. It was very secure because it's walled in. But then COVID hit. That kind of was like, well, it's probably not the greatest idea right now. So that's when I said, okay, well, what else could this be used for? And I said, oh, well, you could store cars here. And so I reached out to some automotive um, shops and found a place that needed uh, somewhere to store their cars while they were waiting to work on them. They also told cars too. It was a perfect marriage. It's really simple. Um, they pay for everything. They cover all the maintenance, you know, shoveling everything, and and they and they pay me rent. Right, and that's awesome. While that's happening, tell me about what you're doing to prepare for these 44 units. How much detail can you give us? Of did you hire an architect? Were you involved in the drawings? Like, how did you find these people that came up with the idea? Mm-hmm, sure. So, yes. Yeah, so I hired an architect. Kind of went back and forth with which way I wanted to do the project. Another route I could have went was to, was to subdivide that lot into maybe ten separate lots, and or twelve maybe, and do twelve like triplexes or something like that. But I decided to do one large building. I think it makes more sense, um, and and it created a larger value base. Uh, reached out to to an architect here that that does drawings on that level, larger multifamily projects. Um, we, you know, obviously we, we first started talking and we talked about how we wanted the property to look and feel, wanted it to somewhat blend in into the neighborhood. It is in the middle of a residential neighborhood. How do we not make it just stick out like a sore thumb, right? Um, it's a really established neighborhood. So we didn't want to go ultra modern. So we, we, what we did was try to take some, take, some of the features from the homes around it and blend it into the property, make it, make it look like it's been there. Obviously people will know it hasn't been, but you know, make it look like it's been there. And it's, it's been a fairly, fairly time consuming uh, process. I think we've been in this for about over a year, year and a half, but we're getting close to the end, uh, close to the end of, of, of the process. It's actually with the city now for the final approval. That's awesome. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. 
Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with creditworthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. Take a second and imagine this. Immediate cash flow above-average rent, built-in equity, and a foolproof exit plan. No, it's not 2012 again. This is just what it's like to invest with Integra Development Group. They've simplified the real estate investing process so everyone can invest. With their new construction single-family rent-to-own homes, you'll get aggressively priced brand-new properties that have tenants in place now in one of the fastest-growing states in America, Florida. Here's how IDG's rent-to-own strategy works. You get exclusive access to inventory with aggressive pricing thanks to IDG's builder-partner relationships. Then, invest and collect immediate cash flow with tenants already in place at or very close to closing. With the demand for new builds, your tenants pay above market rent, so you rake in more cash flow. And you'll get built-in equity and appreciation with an already agreed-to purchase price at year three, helping the tenants become homeowners while you build wealth. That's investing simplified. So secure your next investment property today with Integra Development Group at IntegraDG.com. That's IntegraDG.com to start investing today. Let me ask you a question. So we had the, and and I'm asking because I run into this and and I know a lot of other people run into this. Uh, I had a property a couple months ago that I was looking to buy. It would require us to change the zoning to get it to the highest and best use. And it was an auction property. So basically I was going to have to commit the day I bought it, I have to put down like the full purchase price, mm-hmm. not even earnest money, the full purchase price. And then if we don't get the zoning, well, you're kind of in a bad spot because uh, you can't do what you want with it. So what do you think about, how do you recommend other people think about when to to take a property and go buy right? And and as David pointed out, when we say the word buy right, it's B-Y, not B-U-Y. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people are probably thinking B-U-Y, like you buy something, mm-hmm. but it's you have the right to do something already. Mm-hmm. Um so when do we when do we go with the buy right um, versus when do you try to change the zoning and go through that whole process, which could be long and risky and time consuming? Sure. I think it depends on 
the investor. And it is obviously going to affect the price because if um, I need less, I'm just going to grab a number. If I need 20 units to actually make this deal work, um, you don't know when you go to get a variance. And I don't know if anybody has gone through the variance process, but just so people understand you, you have, you have to present your project generally to the community, let them see it and they vote on it. And then you go in front of the zoning board and let them see it. Very rarely I've seen, are there no, are, are there no changes, right? Either changes in the look, but generally speaking, it's, it's normally a change in how many units. Uh, it's, it's a change in the density. And so you have to figure out, okay, well, at what point is this not going to make sense? And I guess I would buy it at, at a price where it's almost, it, it is a no brainer. So if I could only, if I'd had to stick to the original uh, zoning um, limitations, I could still make money or I could at least still get rid of it. So that's the way I would look at it. Um, I know there are some investors that are much more risk takers than me, and maybe they have a different way that they look at that. But I feel like only with the buy right projects where, you know, like I knew going in, I could do 44 units I, 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 and I never had to present to anyone. It's just what I could do. Um, so I could, I could build my cost around that. You know, one thing I want to know about is with this 44 unit, are you doing all the analysis yourself? Did you run all the numbers and come up with the end result? Did you have a person or, or a partner or someone that you leveraged that out to? There's a lot of moving pieces from managing contractors to building this thing, to getting plans approved, to the architectural design. Um, how involved were you specifically? And on the stuff you weren't involved in, how did you find the people that were going to help with that? Sure. Uh, I believe in having a brain trust, right? Having people you can reach out to who are smarter than you. This is important. You can't be great at everything. You have to be honest with yourself. You can't be great. And quite honestly, I've never done a project of this size. So I reached out to someone who, who, who knew how to do this forwards, forward and backwards. And, and I paid them. Like, let's walk. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. Let's walk through some exercises. Show me some things that I should be thinking about. What are some pieces that, what are some pieces that I may be missing? And I've taken courses on, on, on underwriting commercial deals, but this is real money at stake, right? So I don't, I don't want to just be in this, in this, and, and these costs are not small. So I want to plug into somebody who knows exactly what, exactly what to look for. Um, so that's what I did. I, I leveraged my relationships and quite frankly, I paid for it. So that way I, I'm, I'm getting exactly what I need. I think you've hit on a really important point here that a, a lot of us, we kind of stick within this one thing we're good at. I flipped houses forever and, and David has done burrs forever and also done flips. Um, but we tend not to venture out of our comfort zone because we feel like we don't know what we don't know. And, and you're kind of in this situation where anytime you're looking for highest and best, that means you're going to be doing something different than what you did on the last project and the project before and the project before, because the highest and best is rarely ever going to be the same thing as, as, as it's not going to be consistent. And so you have to get really good at basically saying, I don't know. And then going and finding somebody that does know. And somebody that you can partner with or somebody you can work with. Can you talk to us about how you won, how you find 
those people that that may be really good at something you're not good at? And two, what is that relationship you generally build with them? Is it a partner? Is it a mentor? What what, what should we be thinking about when we need to go into a situation where we're doing something new for the first time? Yeah, so I think you always should be looking forward. So I'm building those. I'm building those relationships even even before I need them. And I knew at some point I was going to get into doing these larger projects, right? So I want to build those relationships early. And generally how I'm working, how I've worked with people so far is as my mentor, right? As, you know, strictly coaching. Now, there are some people that I would, I, I would consider partnering with, all depending on their participation in the project. But generally speaking, it's... Um, it's, it's, it's in a coaching sort of manner. Uh, and then the other thing that I had mentioned earlier, and this comes from networking. How do I meet these people? I network. How do I get, how do I get in front of people? You know, thankfully doing, doing things like this, sharing information, bringing value to people. You, you'd be surprised what happens when you bring value first, right? Uh, and it's something that, that I, speak about all the time when you're when you're going to these RIAs, when you're going to you know a conference, find a way when you meet someone, especially somebody that you may want to work with, don't ask for don't ask for something first. Give something first. Find a way that you can be helpful to that person. And I feel that I feel that 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 builds great relationships. Can you give us some examples of ways either that you or that maybe when people come to you and they see that you're making moves and they want to get in your world, it's easy for us to say, yeah, they went the wrong way. But what are the ways that you wish they would have approached you as specifically as you can so our listeners have some sort of ideas they can work with? Sure. So one thing, just keep in mind, like I'm a human, right? I'm just not a real estate guy. You know, come up and 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 say hello. How are you doing? How's things going? People... And I'm sure you guys, you know, get it a lot. Um, we'll just walk up and start unloading their problems. Uh, and I, I so <laughs> like, hey, I got this. I got this property. It's not going like you didn't. You didn't even introduce yourself. I don't know your name. That's a really, it's <laughs> a really entitled way to look at things. Like I have to figure out where you went wrong, and I don't know you. I got to stop and yep. try to answer your question. So you know, just treat people like they're human beings. Um, you know, realize that every time you approach someone, it's not going to necessarily work out. I can't help everybody. You can't help everybody. That's just realistic. Like we run businesses, we have families, we have a regular life. So, um, so, so, so there's going to be, there's going to be limitations. And I would say lastly, like, don't be cheap. If, if you, people's time, experience, sacrifice, failures, like that's all worth something. Not that everybody's charging for everything, but you should not, it shouldn't be an expectation that you're going to do something for me for free. And I don't know you from anywhere. Um, so I think, I think a lot of it helps. It's that's funny because there's a problem someone's been working on for three months and they think you're going to solve it in three minutes when they come just say, here's what I got going on. And that's the first time meeting them. What about you, Jay? <laughs> what are ways that you would like people to approach you if they want to get in your world? Or what are some mistakes you see people make? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so absolutely. People need to realize that um, David, you, Dan, you, me, anybody you're talking to that's had even a modicum of success, um, they have a million people asking them questions. And so what we're looking for is Obviously, we like helping people. That's the reason we're here. That's the reason we're having these discussions. But at the same time, 
we need help too. And there's always things that we can be, that you can be helping us with. Um, when I wanted to get into multifamily a couple of years ago, I didn't just go to somebody and say, teach me the business. I literally went to the person that I ended up partnering with today. And I said, let me help you. I'm going to give you one year of my time for free. You have access to my network. You have access to my time. You have access to my knowledge. You have access to anything you want that I can provide for one year. All I ask in return is that you teach me the business. You let me shadow you and, and you let me learn from, from, from what you have. Now, a lot of people would probably say, well, Jay, uh, I don't, I'm not an expert. I don't have a big network. I don't have a lot of real estate experience. But let me tell you something. There are a lot of things you can offer. I had a guy, there's a guy that I've been partnering with for 11 years now. We got started when he called me one day and he said, I want to fund your deals. He said, you don't need anybody else to fund any of your deals. I'm going to fund your deals. All I ask in return is you let me like shadow you and learn from your flipping. He's now flipped more houses than I have. He's flipped like 800 houses and he's my partner on everything I do. And it's because he had something that I found valuable. He had money and he was, he was willing to lend it to me. I've had people that have offered to do architecture for me. I've had people offer to do marketing for me. I've had people offer to do websites for me. I've had people to offer to come and actually do contracting on my jobs for me. Everybody has an area of expertise. Everybody has a skill. Everybody has something of value. I guarantee you there's not a person out there that doesn't, doesn't have something that could be valuable to me. And I'm always happy to provide value in return for value that I receive. I don't keep score. It doesn't have to be equal, but at least make the effort and prove to me that you're not just looking to waste my time and take advantage of me. Prove that you want to build a relationship and that you're willing to give back. And if you can do that, I'm going to be your best friend. I'm going to help you all day, every day. That is a very good point. The last guy that I hired had reached out and said, hey, I I don't know what I want to do, but I just want to be in your world. I want to learn real estate investing. And I had to be very frank and say, I can't guarantee that I can teach you real estate investing. I have a lot of other businesses going on. It tends to be the people that work in my companies or work for me in some capacity that learn this just by being around. And I think both of you can agree. That's kind of how it works. Um, and so he said, okay, no problem. And we just started sending him little things like we need a spreadsheet made to track this. Boom. I had it back within an hour and a half. Hey, we need to find out from the city what the deal is with this thing. And he was willing to sit on the phone with them for as long as it took. And he had a great attitude. And I realized like now if I bring him in my world, I know what I'm getting. I'm not getting a flake who just wanted a quick answer and they're gone. I see where his talent is. I see where he's not talented. So now I know what projects to avoid getting him involved in. And I actually went and offered him a job. And now every single time I know what I'm getting, the kid's awesome. I ask for something. I have it before I'm even ready for it. He's bringing it back to me. And I'm actually giving him raises now faster than he can ask for them. To me, that's like the perfect model that you want to follow. If you want to get in business with Dan, if you want to get to know Jay, that's the road you take. If you're like, hey, I'll, I'll work for you for free. And then you ask them to do something and they, they disappear. They don't get back to you. And it's, oh, I'm sorry. I had all these other things going on. Well, we know that's what it's going to be like if we work with you. So I, what I love is that we're sharing here is there actually are specific things that can be done to make yourself valuable. Don't say, I want to be of value. <laughs> 
saying I want to be a value is not actually valuable. That's the one. Have you guys noticed that too, that that comes up all the time? What can I do to help you? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know you. We've never yeah. met. I don't know what you can do to help me. Tell me how you can help me. Yeah. You know what I do. I don't know what you do. Tell me how you can help me. Yeah. So yeah, 100%, yeah. Dave. Okay. Obviously, and, and, and that puts more pressure on, on us. And I have to figure out a yes. job for you. Like, yes. <laughs> you see what I do? And if I, and if I pick wrong, it's going to cost me money. Yeah, yep. So Dan, tell me if somebody is in Philadelphia and they do like what you're doing, what are some some examples of ways that people should approach you with what they can offer that would help? Sure. Um, uh, maybe with, um, you know, tracking down owners, um, record keeping. Um, uh, See, so now you're making me work. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I say those. Oh. Maybe like social media, like social media, you know, sharing things, um, you know, you know, coming up with ideas, stuff like that would be helpful. Yeah, that what that tells me just from your answer is you want someone that once you say, hey, there's some opportunity there that will go line up the dominoes for you so you could just push them over. They get the contact information of the owner. And then once you've got a deal, you need people that can help manage it. Like, all right, it's done. The project's over. Who can make sure that the money coming in is being tracked? Who can handle the little maintenance problems that pop up here and there? So like just from your answer, that's what people need to know is you want help on the front end. What they, they, You probably don't need them to necessarily go find a deal for you. you. You've got that part. You understand it. But once the deal has been found, get me some recon on that. And then once I have a deal, how do I manage it? So there you go. Like we can tell just from your answers what you're looking for. So, so Dan, I... Uh- what should we be looking for in terms of trends? So obviously the economy's changing and the market's changing and things are a little bit different now than they were a couple of years ago. So what types of deals are you looking at these days that may not have been available a couple of years ago, but now because of, of the world changing um, are starting to become more available? Uh, I think that there's going to be um, a lot of, unfortunately, smaller landlords is going to probably be getting out of the business. I think COVID was too much to handle. Um, for some people and not getting paid for long periods of time. So I think there's going to be some opportunity there. I'm actually seeing some Philadelphia now where I'm noticing a lot of duplexes and, and triplexes uh, popping up. I think that 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 is people that are just sort of throwing their hands up. Um, what else? I think there is going to be a lot of opportunity to buy vacant uh, commercial spaces. And like you said, if you can find a, a good a good repurpose uh, for them. I think that there will be opportunity there as well. Yeah, I think there's, I would support that just because I see how many big players are getting into the space. So now we're seeing hedge funds, we're seeing venture capital, we're seeing people that traditionally were not in real estate. And uh, this is my subjective opinion, so people can disagree, but I think a lot of that is due to the inflation that we've seen from the government just pumping money into the economy. That money has to find a home and it tends to get into smart people's hands before it gets into the average average Joe's hands and those people get that money and then they go put it into real estate. So it, it doesn't mean that there's never going to be a space for the smaller investor, but I think in certain markets, we absolutely could see that, right? Like if, if you're competing with big money in a market that's expected to have big growth, you better have a lot of reserves because things like COVID can come. And we've seen that like the laws will be adapted to favor the tenant over the landlord. And if you don't you know, you're going to get squeezed and you better have a lot of juice inside there. You could get squeezed dry. Would you two agree with that? Absolutely. And and most smaller investors don't have that much capital. I mean, it's just not how they're how, how they're starting out. And unfortunately, I, I think a lot of them either got pushed out or, or are going to be 
pushed out. Jay, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I, no, I, I 100% agree. And, and I, I think uh, Dan said it perfectly. All right, Dan, before we let you get out of here, we are going to ask you the same four questions we ask everyone every week. It is time for our Famous Four. All right, I will start it off. What is your favorite real estate book? Mm. I would say, I know everybody probably says Rich Dad Poor Dad, which is really not a real estate book. There's a book, I'm trying to think of what it's called. It's a, it's a value play book. It's a multifamily value play. I can't think of the name of it. Read it a long time ago. Changed my, changed my idea, a thoughts of buying and selling real estate where I would used to think of, of just keeping properties for forever. But this showed you the value of buying a multifamily property bringing it, you know, bringing up the value, selling it and keep growing. Unfortunately, I can't think of the name of that book. Okay. I'm going to take the next question because this is right up my alley. Everybody that knows me knows I'm, I'm, I'm into the business side of things and I love the business side of real estate. What's your favorite business book that you've read, whether it's real estate related or, or just general business? Oh, uh, um, the, the book, what was that thing called? The orange book. Something of the something of traction. No, uh, something of how not to give a f. That's what it was called. It, that's the name of the oh, book. Oh, the subtle art. A of subtle art. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like that book. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I found a, a lot of good um, ideas. The way that he thought about things, I thought was very interesting. All right, what habit or trait are you currently working on developing? Staying committed. Um, that's I'm constantly working on on that. I think um, in this business. That's what separate people who make it from people who do not. It's not the smartest people. It's it's doing things when you absolutely don't feel like it, when you don't see the results, when even when things are going badly at times, because that's because that is a reality. Um, and staying staying committed to the process. That's awesome. Okay. Well, you sort of answered the fourth question, what sets apart successful uh, investors from those who give up failure and never get started. So I'm going to turn that on its head a little bit and say, what is your best advice for anybody out there that is in the process of getting started? They haven't made it yet. And uh, they're, they're trying to, to climb the first couple rungs of that ladder. What's your advice to them? Play the long game. This real estate is a long game business. Unfortunately, sometimes it's being shown as it's a quick hit. And people are only showing you the upside. They're not showing you when things don't go well. Have a long-term plan. Stick stick to that plan. Eventually, you will make it as long as you stay consistent um, and work on that long-term plan. But don't have an expectation that this year, maybe you're broke or barely making it. And next year, you're going to be on a yacht. And on private jets, I don't think uh, I don't think that that it, that is realistic. You've had some amazing tips and value throughout this entire episode, but let me tell you something: that may have been the single most important thing you said. Real estate is a long game, and don't let any anything you're reading on Facebook or social media uh, try and convince you that uh, that you're going to get rich overnight. Play the long game. Love that. Yeah, I was gonna. I second or third that. That's so so good. Um, you know, that's probably the number one piece of advice I give to the clients of the David Green team when they come to us and they're analyzing deals and everyone gets into this, like, what's my year one cash flow going to be? And that's as far as they look. And none of us that make money in real estate did it in one year. It, it's You own it for a long period of time. And 
I like I often target deals that I know will have a very minimal return in year one, but in years five through ten, I'm gonna crush it. Like kind of like the the tortoise that runs the the consistent race versus there's a lot of like Midwest properties that show a strong year one return and everyone just floods right to those. And then year 10, you're getting exactly the same return that you were in year, year one because the fundamentals of that market, that's how they work. So, you know, I want to write a book for bigger pockets. We've been talking about it that sort of involves success in real estate, like a cake. And what are the ingredients that go into that cake? And time would be the number one ingredient. Like you're playing this for the long game. This is siege warfare. Can you outlast the ups and downs of the different economic cycles and what's going on? So thank you very much for saying that. And everybody who's listening here, it's good to get emotionally excited about what we're hearing Dan talk about and what we're hearing Jay talk about. Like use that to get started, but you can't rely on that excitement to propel your business. It needs to be that stubborn, consistent tortoise in the race approach. Awesome. So Dan, for those out there that are listening to this and they're thinking, I need to find out more about Dan, the real estate man, where can they find out more about you? Where they can, can they get in touch with you? Where can they, uh, where can they connect with you? Sure. Um, on social media, on Instagram, you can follow me at Dan, the real estate man one. That's Dan, the real estate man one. Cause I lost the password to Dan, the real estate man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, wa- I was going to ask about that, but okay. That's what happened. Love it. Yeah. Love it. On uh, Facebook, it is Dan, the real estate man. Um, and my website is Dan, is Dan, the real estate man dot biz. Love it. <laughs> Love it. it Love it. <laughs> Uh, to be honest, I'm thinking about all the things in my life that I've had a very similar situation. Like, like I only got one shoe now because I lost the other shoe and I just never bothered to try to find it. Like, that's exactly something that I would yeah. do. That's so funny. I could either find my password or I could reinvent my brand. That's it. One. <laughs> I, would, I would rather reinvent my entire brand and try to remember what that damn thing is. <laughs> all right, Dan. Well, this has been excellent. I really appreciate it. Jay, also, thank you very much for coming on and uh, tag teaming this with me. Oh, this was awesome. Thanks for having me. And Dan, uh, you're amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it and look forward to seeing this later on. This is David Green for Jay Scott and Dan, the real estate man one, (laughs) signing off. (laughs) The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.